going to give you just a little bit of a preface here, not a long one, because I could talk about a lot of things. Even as I read through this, you're going to, you're going to have a couple of huh moments, um, but I'm just going to simply tell you that Ruth chapter 3 is the story of, of Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi. Ruth was not an Israelite. She was from Moab. The Bible calls her, therefore, a Moabitess. And, uh, and she, this was, uh, she was married to uh, Naomi's son and now is a widow. And Naomi herself is a widow. And they were both widowed while they were in Moab. They then make the decision to come back. And Ruth, uh, basically with a tremendous love for her mother-in-law, uh, a great uh, mother-daughter-in-law relationship, uh, it determines to come back to Israel with her, and she settles back in Israel with her. Now, remember, this is a, a foreign girl living in a foreign country. She doesn't get all the customs and the laws and the rules. So she looks to Naomi for advice. And in the story that we're about to read, which I'll put up on the screen, but also, as I said, maybe you want to bring up on your phone for later reference as we go through the message. The story we're about to read is... Naomi having a, an amazing, generous heart and saying, we need to arrange uh, and find you a man. Uh, and we're going to hear some of the, the dating rituals, if you will, of, of ancient Israel here. And uh, I'll explain some of them later on, the pertinent ones. But that's what's going on. And uh, Naomi is going to recommend that she go meet this man named Boaz. So here we go. Ruth chapter 3. One day... Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, my, my daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now, Boaz, uh, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't, don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. We all know that men are much better off after they've finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying, then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and, and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile, Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you, he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. 
Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized, and he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, Bring me the shawl you're wearing and hold it out. And when she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. And then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, How did it go, my daughter? And then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, He gave me these six measures of barley, saying, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Well, I want to assure you that if you're here and you're thinking, well, what good is this message going to do for me? Because I'm, I'm uh, not interested in dating. I've had enough of that. Or I'm long past dating. I'm married umpteen years. Or I'm divorced and the last thing I'm ever thinking about ever doing again is dating someone. There's going to be something for everyone in this message, I promise you. There is something, because some of the principles that God holds out in this message are principles for everyone, no matter what stage you are relationally in your life right now. I really believe that dating is foundational. You're going to notice that during the four weeks of this series, there is no marriage makes me crazy, or my spouse makes me crazy. And you're going to go, well, how, how did you miss that one, Pastor Jeff? And... The, the real answer to that is we chose dating because we believe dating is so foundational. My wife, Julie, and I, we dated, and we were high school sweethearts, so we dated for seven years before uh, we were married. And I can tell you, those seven years helped establish a very important foundation for the marriage that we are blessed to have now. And without those years, I'm not sure that that foundation would have been built. I'm not recommending that everybody take seven years of dating before they marry. I'm just saying it helped us a lot. And you know, you don't forget, do you? Especially those early days of dating. Julie and I met um, at a camp, a Lutheran camp up on Mingus Mountain in Prescott. And I still remember everything about that camp. I remember the first time I actually took notice of her as she walked down to the canteen at night. I remember what she was wearing. And um, I remember the two of us holding hands. And if you've ever been to the edge of Mingus Mountain, well, if you haven't, go. But if you've ever been, you can stand on the edge of this cliff and look down over the entire Verde Valley. And it is an amazing place to be holding a girl's hand, I can tell you that. Very dramatic. I remember walking with her one night at that camp and the first kiss that I got from my wife, Julie. And, you know, those memories are just seared in my brain. Not sure if they're seared in hers, but they're seared in mine. I remember, too, a few months later, Julie and I went to a um, a high school for people that were preparing for the ministry in South Dakota, dinky little town called Mobridge, South Dakota. Pastor Dan knows it well. He can tell you many stories. Um, and and uh, 
And in this town was this little high school. I had gone to Sunny Slope High School. You know my story. I was not a believer uh, when I was starting high school. Became uh, a believer in the middle. And then went at my pastor's urging uh, to, to this school to pre- start preparing to become a pastor. And, and um, Julie and I were, she was there too. Uh, we were part of a little group from Phoenix going there. We were walking down by the river, as it was called. It's actually a lake, Lake Oahe. But we were walking on the shore and holding hands and talking. It was that place where the high schoolers went to get away from the supervision of the teachers so they could hold hands and do stuff like that. And we sat down, and Julie sat down right in a bunch of thorns, like right there, right? And, you know, immediately, like she stood up, and she starts pulling thorns out of her backside. And she's red. She's so embarrassed that she sat down in a bunch of thorns. And she actually can't see them all. She can feel them poking. And so even more embarrassing, she has to, we've only been dating a couple months. She has to ask me to help her pull the bullheads out of her bottom. And uh, so this is completely embarrassing, and she remembers that to this day, and so do I, but for different, slightly different reasons. <laughs> but anyway, there's a lot of stuff that can make you crazy when you're dating, right? And as you look in this story, you can see there's nothing new to that. Because there were all sorts of things going on that maybe even today we find difficult to understand. But clearly there were customs and rituals. There, there was some, some strategy and gamesmanship here. And there's a little bit of mystery. And doesn't that sound like dating today? Right? Is he going to call me back? How many days do I wait before I pick up the phone? I don't want to appear to be too needy. I don't want to be too crazy. So there's all this ritual, gamesmanship, and and mystery. Well, it's all here. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, take a look at that first verse I put in your notes, said to her, my daughter, I must find a home for her. So what do we, right out of the gate, we see a set-up relationship. There's a, it's not quite a blind date, but it's not far from a blind date either. I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now, Boaz, with whose women you've worked, is a relative of ours. Now, that sounds a little weird. Why why send her to a relative? Well, to get that, you have to understand about uh, an ancient Jewish law called the Law of the Leveret. And this law, you have to understand that, that uh, among the Israelites, family was very, very important. And producing heirs for the family was important. If a girl was married to a guy, and that guy, and that's what had happened with Ruth, Ruth passed away at a young age, that guy's brother was supposed to marry her and produce heirs for his brother, for the family. And so if the younger brother married her, And then they had a family. The first boy was counted as the child of the brother who had died. And this was all intended to protect the interests of the family because the family was more important than the individual. If there were no brothers, this law of the leveret could spread out further than that into extended family. And what we hear here is that that's what's happening. Boaz is a member of the extended family. And he is in the line of people who are supposed to step up now and and produce heirs for Naomi's son who has died with Ruth. However, as we heard as we read the whole thing, he's not the first guy in line. There was a very 
strict order of how this was to go down. And so Boaz is going to have to do some things. Isn't it interesting that Naomi does not pick the person who's next in line? Why not? Because she's looking for the right man for her daughter-in-law, a man of character. And so she actually sends her to Boaz because she counts character as higher than this order. Now, Boaz, with whose women you've worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Now, talk about gamesmanship. Here's this Naomi. Maybe she's 45, 50 years old or older. And she's, she's a player. She's got the game. She understands what has to happen. And she knows exactly where to send Ruth, the threshing floor. And why the threshing floor? Because at this time of year, it was springtime, probably April, they're, they're what's called threshing the barley, which means they're separating the husks on the outside of the barley from the grain that can be used and cooked and, and eaten. And they have various ways of doing this. They'll put it on this hard rock floor and beat at it or step on it to crunch the husks off. And then they'll put all that in a blanket or a big sheet and throw it up in the air and the wind will blow that away. Well, these are long, hard days. If any of you have ever been in farm country, you know that at harvest time, we're talking 14, 15, 16, 18 hour days or longer. At the end of all of that, they don't go home because they got to get up before dawn the next next day so they they have all their meal all their beer all their wine imported into the threshing floor and basically every night at the end of the day all the men gather around the fire and they eat and they drink as we heard and they're feeling pretty good at the end of that right they're gonna only get maybe four five six hours of sleep but it's going to be a good solid nice sleep tummy's full maybe a beer or two wash Put on perfume and get dressed in your best clothes. Now, you see, some traditions never change, right? Ever done that for a date? Of course, we still do that, right? It's not faking it or putting on a face. It's, it's what we do. We want to present our, uh, the best possible picture of ourselves. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. No more commentary on that. We understand that. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. So the uncovering of the feet was an ancient Jewish way to kind of take the first step um, without words of saying, can we talk about a relationship here? We don't know a lot about this custom. I know it sounds a little bit weird. He's sleeping and you uncover his feet. But in some way, this was Ruth indicating, I, I, you know, let's talk about a relationship. She actually goes deeper later when she says, will you put the corner of your garment over me? And that was a clear indication. In fact, that was actually a proposal of marriage when she said that. So imagine, here's Ruth, the girl, proposing marriage to the guy. And what that put the corner of your garment over me meant was, it was a, a picture of a wing, because the actual Hebrew word actually means wing. Put the wing of your garment. And if you have read much of the Psalms, you know that the wings of an animal are the protective, that as as eagles protect their young. It even says in the Bible, Lord, you know, carry me up on eagles' wings or guard me with your wings. This was 
Ruth saying, will you, Boaz, guard me with your wings? So all of this is happening, and we've got to be thinking to ourselves, oh my goodness, how is this foreign girl going to get all of this and in the right order? Any of you that are in cross-cultural relationships, there are many in this room, you probably have had this experience. So what, what do I got to do next? And then I got to do what? And you're trying to figure out, like, how is this all supposed to work? And all this tells us is whether we're talking ancient times or today. And here's what I want you to write down. Dating sometimes makes us local because it's crammed with rituals, loaded with games, and shrouded in mystery. Ever feel that way? And, and so a lot of people go, why do it? Why do it? Why go through the games? Why have all this mystery of not knowing when to call back or do I call? All that stuff. And yet, I'm going to go back to what I original, originally said. It's not necessarily the only way. But in our world today, especially here in the United States, this is how we establish a foundation for a much more important relationship in life, one called marriage, where God gives us a life partner, someone that we can marry who can accompany us in life and help us in life. And we know that that's pleasing to God because look at what it says going all the way back to Genesis 2.18. This is God speaking right when he brings Eve to Adam. He says, It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So so it's after he says this that then he creates Eve and brings her to him, the first husband and wife team. Even in a perfect world, God saw that Adam needed a helper. You see, it's interesting to look at the Bible when it comes to marriage because The Bible says it's a good thing to have your life's partner. And yet there's also some interesting words, for example, in the the book of Corinthians, where it says it can also be good to remain single. In fact, the Apostle Paul, who did remain single, and I'm saying this for the sake of the single people in this room right now, the people who have said, you know what, I'm not prepared to date or I don't want to date right now. I'm saying that to say, even though God here in Genesis says it's not good for the man to be alone, there are other ways to fill that need to get rid of loneliness. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 7, says if you're not married, it's good if you remain unmarried. And do you know why that is? Because in God's eyes, you have value, and you are complete already as you are a single person. And if you are a single person, I want you to hear that loud and clear. All of life does not necessarily have to point to finding your life's partner. As a single person, well, take a look at the Apostle Paul. Was he able to live an effective and purposeful life? And by the way, do we know of someone else who never got married? A guy named Jesus Christ? Was he able to live an effective and purposeful life? As a single person? Of course. So the Bible is very interesting in that it 
tells us we all have value, single or married. And yet, if we are, if we, and Paul even says this in that same chapter, 1 Corinthians 7, he says, but if you want to marry, if you have a passion for another person, go ahead and get married. God's pleased with that too. It's your choice. One other thing I want to say, though, is this. When God brought Eve to Adam, you may know or you may not know what happens next. But Adam and Eve went to a place where God had told them not to go. Eve grabbed the apple. Adam did not stop her as he should have had he had her under his protective wing. And together they ate the fruit from that tree, Eve first, then Adam. And the world fell into sin. And I think many of us may be aware of the greatest ramification of the world falling into sin, and that is death. That we now physically have to die, that now spiritually we are born into this world already dead, and that we face eternal death apart from knowing Jesus Christ as our Savior and our Lord. That was all brought in, and that's the greatest ramification. But check out Genesis 3.16, because when God comes into the garden after sin comes into the, into the world, look at what he says about the relational ramifications of sin. Your desire will be for your husband, he says to the woman. Now think about what is he saying there? He's expressing a truth, and I think many of us have observed this truth. It's basically this, that as women, women are going to feel a void when they don't have a man in their life. Your desire will be for your husband. Now, I I realize we can talk ourselves out of that. We can argue ourselves out of that. I watched my mom do it. After she got divorced from my dad, she would fold her arms And she would look defiant and she would say, I do not need a man to make me complete. And somehow with all that vehemence and all that emotion, I found myself thinking, methinks she does protest too much. Right? And this is what, are you complete without a man, ladies? Yes, you are. But because of sin, you may feel sometimes like you are not. And it may even be an inordinate desire that causes you to pursue a man with the idea that it is only a man that can make me complete. Now, you need to understand that's a result of sin. And for guys, there's one too. And he will rule over you. You see, what what sin has brought into guys' hearts is this macho desire to put our foot down and rule over the women in our lives. We got to be in control. All of us as guys are going to struggle with control issues, even to the point where if we put it aside, we too, like the women, may fight against this control issue and basically completely try to divest of ourselves of authority so we can just sit on the couch and and watch our football or basketball or whatever we want to watch, NASCAR. But guess what? Even then, 
the hole that's created by our not being there is going to be a big thing in that house. He will rule over you. Results of sin, right? So you put those two together. Dating is crammed with rituals, games, and mystery. And then dating forms this foundation for a relationship that's supposed to be a very important relationship in our life, the relationship of marriage. And now we hear from God that that's going to be spoiled by sin. And what is the most natural thought in the world? This is just completely loco to even be doing this because even if I'm successful at the dating, what's at the end? I get to be married? I don't know. We write that down. In today's world, many are tempted to think, isn't this whole dating thing just crazy? And I can tell you that, bottom line, without Jesus, without Jesus at work in your heart, without Jesus at work in your life, absolutely. It's crazy. I'm not saying that all relationships without Jesus are not, there's no way for them to be pleasant and happy relationships. But I am saying, if you don't have Jesus Christ, and especially his blood, his righteousness, his forgiveness, his love, his peace, yeah, it, it's going to be tough. And it's going to get a little local at times. But, as the next passage indicates, when Jesus, as he promised, sends the Holy Spirit into our lives, and when that Holy Spirit feeds us through the Word of God and gives us faith, we begin to see things that we haven't seen before and have hopes and, and beliefs that we didn't know about. And those give us a solid foundation for dating and later on for marriage. Take a look at Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. When, when this author talks about faith, he's not talking about faith as in just you just got to believe harder. Later on, he says you got to stay focused on Jesus Christ, who is both the author and perfecter of your faith. He's talking about knowing Jesus and leaning on Jesus. And he says when we know Jesus and we lean on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith, then we can be confident about things we don't even have. And I want you to hear this. If you are dating right now, and, and you're thinking, I, I have no confidence in where this relationship is going, it's okay. And the reason it's okay is because you have Jesus. If, if you were divorced, and you don't even know if you ever want to see a person of the opposite sex again. Certainly not in a romantic relationship because you are fed up with all members of the opposite sex. And you're, you're going, there's no hope for me to ever have a relationship with another man or woman. Step back. And realize what Jesus does. Jesus has the power because of his amazing love, because he washes away sins. That means he washes away baggage and hurts. And over time, as we walk with Jesus, amazing changes can happen in our heart. 
Changes that if we're just sitting here today, we might think that's never going to happen to me. Just watch because faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And one of the beauties of Jesus, whether you're dating, divorced, married, or as someone came out and said to me after first service, shacked up. If you're any of those, then what I'm about to tell you comes straight from Jesus, and it can help you. And it can make your dating, your marriage, all your relationships far less loco. Before I go there, I want to say something really clear. If you read the story of Ruth, and you just step back from it and look at the overall you probably think to yourself, there was a very important order of how Naomi told Ruth to do things. And that got me thinking by association that there is also today a very important order of how we are to do things in dating when it's going to lead up to a marriage relationship. And I'm, I'm going to hit some people, I know this, right between the eyes now. Because some of you in this room are not doing things in that order. And I'm telling you this not, well, do I want you to feel guilty? To an extent, I do. Because I want you to check yourself. That I have is that you understand God's truth and God's order and God's love that goes with his truth and his order Because he also promises great blessings when you do things in his order. We live in a world where that order has, for the most part, been thrown out the window. And by order, I mean simply the steps in order. So there's nothing wrong, by the way, from God's word even, with a sexual spark, a romantic tingle, whatever you want to call that. If you... That's from God. And if you want to be convinced of that, just open up your Bible to the book Song of Songs. And many scholars believe that was written by Solomon. And he talks all about the sexual and the romantic in there. And it's clear that's a gift from God. And most relationships, that's going to be step one. You feel sexually and romantically drawn to another person. The second step, because the end goal is that your spouse be your lover and your best friend, the second step in God's order is now get to know this person. Make, make sure that you can have this person become your best friend. And if you have all this sexual, romantic feeling in the world but this person is never going to be your best friend, make sure you've taken that step. Because if you move in, you start having sex, now you're going to get the steps out of order. And from that, it's going to come very damaging things. And I'm just going to tell you, there are people in this room who are way past the dating stage. They're married, and I meet them all the time in counseling. 
who are still suffering the ramifications 20, 30 years later of having taken things out of order and not work that out in repentance with their Lord and with their spouse. And it's 20, 30 years later on. They didn't take things in the right order. They don't even know until we sit down for counseling. Man, I think we messed up there. I want you to hear again. I'm telling you this in love. Get the steps in the right order. The beauty of Jesus, the beauty of Jesus is this. He died on the cross. He rose from the grave. And that tells you that he is a savior of fresh starts. And so you're forgiven. Jesus loves you, even if you've taken steps out of order. Whether you're dating now, married 20 or 30 years, Work this out in repentance with your Savior and with your spouse or with the person you're dating. And then turn it around, make a U-turn and, and start over with Jesus' forgiveness and Jesus' love and begin to take those steps in the right order. You will be so blessed and so happy if you do that. Now, as you determine that those, those steps of repentance and, and begin to walk in Jesus' love, And in Jesus' forgiveness, real quickly, I want to run through four things that I think can help all of us. Especially those who are dating, of course. Now, I'm observing these things in the story of Ruth. In the Bible, there's what we call descriptive passages and prescriptive passages. So I'm going to read you a descriptive passage. And then I'm going to read you a prescriptive passage. Because I want to show you that what Ruth was doing was very wise. And it's still wise today. So what's the first description? Ruth is talking to Naomi, her mother-in-law. And she says, I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. Will you underline that? She did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. Now flip the page. That's a description. What's the prescription? We find it in Proverbs chapter 15. Folly, which means foolishness, brings joy to one who has no sense, but whoever has understanding keeps a straight course. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. Do You see what it says there? It says that Ruth did something very wise, something that you can do. Create a solid team around yourself. Do you have people that you trust and you love and you know will give you solid advice that will put you on a straight course in your relationships? Find those people. Have them in your life. Guys, guys, I'm talking to you especially. I know you don't like to talk. Build a team. Get some people around you that you can trust that will give you good, godly, sage advice. And then do what Ruth did. Follow it to the T. It's going to help you so much in your relationships. Don't do relationships alone with just you and this other person. Big mistake. Second point. Who are you? He asked. This is now Boaz in the middle of the night. He's been startled awake. He sits up. Who are you? He asked. And guess what? Ruth has a solid answer. She knows exactly who she is. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me. There's her proposal. Since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. He's one of the guys in line. Will you marry me? She says. And he's like, huh? Who are you? 
And she answers with something that is probably even more surprising for this day than it is today. She says, I am your servant. Now, now, do you know what it would, it would have taken for a woman in this day and age with the troglodyte guys that they had then to say, I am your servant, the trust, the courage to say that? But she does. It takes confidence. And that's because Ruth, through what Naomi has shared with her, understands something even more important something represented by Romans 8.14, those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. She knew, deep in her heart, I am God's dearly loved child. She knew she was a princess because she is a daughter of God Most High. And so with that confidence of being royalty, because she's bought with the blood of the Lamb, She could step forward and say, I know who I am. I'm a dearly loved child of God. I'm a princess of God most high. And therefore, because I'm confident in who I am, and this identity can never be taken or stolen from me, now, in that confidence, I can offer to serve. All you need to do to see an attitude like that is look around. Mike Borzak, whose picture I put up earlier, beautiful example of someone who knew I'm a dearly loved child of God bought with the blood of the lamb. How do I meet needs? How do I serve? Gents and ladies, do you know who you are as you're dating? Do you know who you really are at the most core level? Do you know that you are a dearly loved child of God? Go in there and know your real identity and know whose you are as well as who you are. Third point. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. I want you to circle the word wait. Too many of us are in a big fat rush when we're dating or even later on in life in other situations and circumstances, married, divorced, whatever. We don't want to wait. And that's part of the big problem of not doing the steps in the right order. Not first dating, getting to know each other. Again, I'm going to say it doesn't have to be seven years, but really make sure this person can be your friend. Don't have sex until after you're married. All these things. Don't live together until after you're married. Get those, all those steps in the right order. And the reason we don't do that is we don't want to wait. And the reason we don't want to wait is we forget who we're waiting You see Psalm 27, 14, there's the prescription. Wait for the Lord. He's coming. He'll take care of you. Don't trip over yourself to make things happen in your own wisdom, in your own authority, in your own power. Let God's wisdom, power, and authority work in your life. And things are going to be great. Wait for the Lord. This takes strength. So be strong and take heart. And wait, wait for the Lord. Third point, ask yourself, am I prepared to wait for the Lord? When you're dating, this may be one of the most important things. And the final one. 
And I hope you hear this loud and clear. If you're single and dating, if you're single and not dating, if you're married, if you're divorced, whatever your relational situation in life is, I want you to hear this loud and clear. You already have everything you need in life because you have Jesus. And when you have Jesus, the truth is you don't need one other thing. So take that neediness that we all feel at times because of sin and fill it to the fullest with Jesus. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. So that when... This is a supermarket rule, guys and gals. Right? Never go shopping when you're... See, you all know it. So, right, like follow the, the supermarket rules when you're dating. Don't go shopping when you're hungry. Fill the need with Jesus, right? What's the other rule? Only shop around the outside aisles. Why? Because that's where all the healthy food is. Well, that's, that's what Naomi told her. Don't go shopping wherever. Boaz is a good man. He's a healthy man. You're going to have a healthy marriage with him. Just apply the supermarket rules. And here's why. When you have Jesus, you have everything you need. All things have been created through him. Your relationships are created through him and for him. The whole purpose of all your relationships, dating and otherwise, are for him. He is before all your relationships, all your dates, even your life. He'll be thereafter. And in him... All things, all relationships hold together. Do you hear Paul saying it loud and clear? All of you? When you have Jesus, you have everything you need. I'm confident I already have all I need. Here's the thing that I I want you to hear. And you know this. I've said this many times. At this church... Jesus is always the point and always the source and always the heart. And that's true in dating too. When you date, take Jesus with you because he is always the point and he is always the source and he is always the heart. Yes, not just in church, but in everything that we do in life and what love and mercy and forgiveness we have as we walk with him. Your key verse is all things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things and in him all things hold together. And hold on to these four truths and ask God to help you. I'm a team guy. I'm going to build a team of wise people around me. I know whose I am. I'm prepared to wait. And most importantly, I already have all I need. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, thank you for sending us Jesus. He is truly all that we need. And Lord, in all of our relationships, help us to hold on to these four truths and relate to one another with wisdom. This will help us to obey your command to to love others as we love ourselves. Lord, forgive us for the times when we've fallen short, when we've gotten things out of order. And in some form or fashion, we all have. And so, Lord, when, when, when things have not gone properly because we have made choices that are sinful in our lives... 
we ask you to pour the blood of your son Jesus all over those and to clothe us in the robe of righteousness. Lord, what a beautiful example we have of a person who who had the blood of Jesus and the robe of righteousness in his life. We thank you once again for Mike Borzak and all the things that he brought to this Crosswalk family. Lord, um, you've told us to remember the leaders that you set among us. Help us as we look at Mike and we see Jesus alive in Mike. And we know that Mike is alive now because of Jesus. Help us to see him as a leader that we can learn from, even as we learn from you, Jesus. Lord, we're so grateful that in all things we can walk into them without a neediness because you, Jesus, fill all our needs. And we pray this in your name. Amen. You give me joy more than my share. You fill me up with countless blessings. Crosswalk Phoenix.com